0: conquer death to reign with God forever in glory then how can we expect to conquer death and reign together with God in glory the Christian good news is not only that Christ died for our sins while this is amazing news that we are that guilty sinners often struggle to rightly comprehend The good news is also that Jesus rose on the third day, according to the Scriptures. As it was prophesied, He would. And He was delivered for our offenses and raised for our justification. It's Romans 4, 25. We have much to celebrate today, church. I want to ask you to grab your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. Passionate here at Disciples Church to be faithful to preach The Word of God, and not what we want to tell you, or what we think you want to hear, but instead God's living Word. If you want a Bible in your hands, we have some in the back of the room that you can use while you're here. I encourage you to bring your Bibles with you to church. As you turn there, I will say that our time together on Friday night for Good Friday was so sweet, very special. It was a true privilege to preach from John's Gospel, chapter 19. And if you missed that Good Friday service and are moved today by the preaching of God's Word in, in John's Gospel, I would encourage you to jump on our podcast the next couple of days and go back and listen to that Good Friday message as a as a foundation, an essential understanding of the cross, uh, what Jesus did for us on Friday night. We're forever thankful for Jesus' death on the cross. Amen. I'm excited to lean into God's word with you this morning. And as we seek to increase our worship, our faith, our understanding of who God is and what He has done, we turn to John chapter 20. Let's begin in chapter one, I mean, in verse one. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. John tells us it was very early in the morning, that first day of the week, Sunday morning. Jesus was crucified on Friday, and in the early hours of Sunday morning, this faithful follower of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, makes her way to the place where Jesus' body was laid. It was still dark out. Matthew 27 tells us that she had reason for expecting to find Roman soldiers there on guard. The other Gospels inform us that she had no male disciples accompanying her. It's in the midst of the feast Which means there's thousands of strangers sleeping under any alcove nearby. Somewhat of an intimidating time to go for a walk in the dark. But none of this kept Mary and another sister in Christ from going to the place where her Savior's body lay. One theologian of old commented about her boldness to visit Jesus' tomb in these circumstances. How much more knowledge of spiritual things many of us have, but far lacking in faith and radical love for the Lord, to pursue Him with such abandon as Mary. Mary had received so much grace from Jesus, and her response was pure gratitude that knew no bounds. This causes me to contemplate myself and to ask you today, do you realize how much grace you have received in God's forgiveness for your sins? And yet, does that gratitude overflow into worship and obedience to Him for a lifetime? Or are we guilty of maybe even considering God's grace insufficient in our minds and hearts as we complain about what we don't have or what's not going our way in the temporary. A.W. Pink, late theologian, says it well when he says, It is those who have had the clearest sight of their deservedness of hell, whose hearts are most moved at the amazing grace which snatched them from the brands from the burning." That they are the most devoted among Christ's people. Let us pray daily then that it may please God to grant us a deeper realization of our sinfulness and a deeper apprehension of the surpassing worthiness of His Son, so that we may serve and glorify Him with increasing zeal and faithfulness. What does Mary discover as she arrives? The stone has been taken away. Have you considered why the stone was moved? I think often we think so that Jesus could come out. But Jesus didn't need the stone to be moved to come out, did he? We see later in chapter 20, Jesus suddenly appears in the upper room, even though it is clear the doors and the windows were closed and locked. Church, He didn't need the stone to be moved. So why was the stone taken away? I believe so the witnesses could come in and see that He wasn't there. Amen? It is rolled away for the testimony of the resurrection. What did Mary do upon seeing this? John 20, verse 2. She ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid Him. Mary runs to Peter and John, the one whom Jesus loved, the author of this gospel. Mary's first response is not to think of the resurrection, but is to think of foul play. Jesus' body had been taken, snatched. The Jewish leaders would go on record to say that they believed Jesus' disciples stole the body, as recorded in Matthew 27. And this all highlights that grave robbery in this day and age was not that uncommon. But let's read further. Verse 3-5 through So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first, stooping to look in. He saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. It says they ran. When you're excited or you're in an emergency, you don't walk. You run. If you're listening to this sermon and you're not saved... If and when you finally see the good news, hear the good news of Jesus and what it means for you, what Jesus has accomplished on your behalf unto salvation, don't stroll to confess your sin and lay down your life before Jesus. Run into His arms and repent and forever be changed. I pray that for any of you who are unbelievers That you don't stroll in considering the gospel of the Lord. That that this Easter service is just not a part of the day or a part of the year. It is the most important appointment you have had or will have all year. And my prayer is you would run to Jesus. They ran. John got there first. He beat the old man. Peeking into the tomb and seeing the linens left behind was enough for him not to go in. Why? Can't imagine what's rushing through John's mind as he waits for his older and slower Peter. Jesus is not there, but his wrappings are. John 20, verse 6, Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. Just like Peter, right? He's got no pause He just runs right in. And now both of them are on the scene and they evaluate what has happened. Continuing in verse 6, he saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. The burial linens are lying there. The face cloth is neatly folded in its place. A few major things we see in this detail. First, grave robbers would not have left expensive linens at the burial. Nor would they have taken the time to do their laundry. Right? I mean, neatly folded. The Roman guard, I mean, if you're stealing Jesus' body, you wouldn't take time to unwrap him, fold the face wrap and lay it there. No, you grab him and you get out of there you remember when lazarus emerged from the tomb when the lord raised him from the grave he came out wearing all his burial wraps this is church another sign that jesus resurrection was not a flustered response but a precise work of the holy god jesus strategically left behind his wraps why because they're no longer needed There's a much deeper meaning in this. All that was related to his burial is put away. It's no longer needed. Jesus has conquered death and the grave. He is risen and death has no grip on him. Amen? Picture it with me for a moment. What lay before Peter and John was not the object they sought, the Lord himself, but instead the trophies Of his victory over death is what was sitting there. Before they lay the items, before them lay the items that are intended to bind a dead man and hold his body into the decay of death. They are the remnants of the battle that was waged for sin, a sign that the victor walked away and he did not see the desired demise that his enemies intended for him, but instead he walked away victorious. This stands as a sign of what is to come for each of us who trust our lives to Jesus Christ. In Christ we too also will be rid forever of everything connected to the old corrupted life. And more than ready we will enjoy Christ in his glory forevermore. Like Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, 20 through 21, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Praise God. This is what Peter and John observed. Which is why it led to what we read next. Verse 8. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first went in and he saw and believed. What a moment for these two. Can you imagine all that rushed into their minds remembering the teaching, all the teaching of their Lord, their Rabbi, their Master? All the words of him needing to die and then to rise, all of the speaking of these things that didn't make sense, now comes into clear view. Their faith must have been overflowing with clarity in the sovereign hand of God and His promises for generations of what would occur. What a contrast with their with their state of mind just hours before they at, at the pressure at the threat they ran they hid they bounced hiding behind locked doors and closed windows they waited through the weekend and sat sober and somber in a fog of Jesus' arrest gross torture and Horrific death. But now they see in a way they had not yet that God had been at work in all of these things. They see with clear eyes as they witness Jesus absent from the tomb without his burial wraps. And it says John believed. They knew that Jesus was not missing or stolen. He was alive. John 20, verse 9, For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that He must rise from the dead. They hadn't, hadn't understood it yet. Until this moment, they had not fully grasped or even recalled the Scriptures of old so many teachings of the Lord that He would rise in three days. What a sad reality of how deaf to God's truths we can be. It's not that they've not been told. For even the enemies of Jesus recalled Jesus' specific words that He would rise in three days. We see this in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27, 62 and 63. It's all too easy for us to dismiss the vital importance of eternal things when we are overly focused on temporary things one of the greatest wins of the enemy in your life is not to get you into a whole bunch of bad stuff it's to keep you busy doing good stuff that you miss the best stuff that is life in Christ serving our master day in and day out Surely there is no treasure for us like resurrection from our deserved death. Jesus Himself had spoken of this resurrection many times to the disciples, and yet they had not understood what was to come. In chapter 2 of John's Gospel, maybe just flip there a few chapters back, chapter 2 of John's Gospel, um, we see a clear moment where He puff side and proclaimed that he would rise after three days john chapter 2 18 through 22 so the jews said to him what sign do you show us for doing these things jesus answered them destroy this temple and in three days i will raise it up the jews then said it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days but he was speaking about the temple of his body When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the Scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. The Jews had no clue. that He was talking about his own body as the temple would be raised up. They thought he was talking about the building. In the same passage, John tells us Later, when Jesus would rise from the grave and the disciples would remember and believe, as we just read in chapter 20, their belief would be emboldened. Cowards would become champions for the faith. I have to ask you today, having heard the testimony of these things in Scripture, have you put your faith into Jesus? Or are you like the Jews who are still looking for a sign. The word that testifies that Jesus is Lord and that Jesus would indeed rise from the grave is enough for you. But you will only believe if God gives you eyes to see and a heart to believe. Let me make something very clear. True faith in God doesn't require the stilts of circumstance and the fanfare of signs and wonders because it is grounded in the word of God alone. God's word is sufficient. Praying for many of the preachers here in our city this morning, texting them to encourage them to preach God's word and get out of the way. We need add nothing, no fanfare, no stories to move you. The, God, the word of God alone will change your life. It's my job to preach it boldly and fully and get out of the way. Those given ears to hear will hear, and their faith will stand on the testimony of God. Not the sign or or the proof that they once connected it to. If your faith in God for salvation needs a sign or a wonder to hang its hat on, you could argue that's not faith. But God gives us a great sign. You know what that sign is? The resurrection of Jesus from the grave this is what Jesus point is when he says destroy this temple in three days I will raise it up when Jesus said this the Jewish listeners were thinking of the temple building they're thinking Jesus is boasting in some mad construction skills here (laughs) he's able to have this thing rebuilt in three days that's crazy But what Jesus is talking about is not that, but something so much greater. He's talking about something all of human history has been waiting for. Someone far greater than a building or a centerpiece of the Jewish faith. Something far greater than an amazing miracle with only temporary fanfare and beliefs. No, the temple of His body would be torn apart, as we talked about on Friday. And in this, Jesus would bear the sins of all of his people, a people of every tribe, tongue, and nation, from generation to generation. All of his elect would be saved. He would conquer death for them and rise. Here in John 2, Jesus is saying, I will do this. He says it again in John 10. Eight chapters later, 17 through 18, he says, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Church, hear the good news in Jesus' words this morning. He lays down his life for our sin, and he takes it up again for our victory When they destroy his body and kill him, it's only by his permission. Jesus then builds it up again in three days. Praise God. Jesus is saying, I am the new temple. When I rise, my body from the dead, my chosen people from around the world come to God through me. There will be no more need for pilgrimages to to Jerusalem. There will only be rebirth of the heart to living faith in Jesus Christ. When Jesus died, it said in Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one, behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That curtain designed by God in the Old Covenant where he would reside among the people in the Holy of Holies. It's ripped in two top to bottom to expose the Holy of Holies Why is this important, church? Because we need to see the old covenant and all the old sacrificial system comes to an end in Christ's death and resurrection. The Holy of Holies is exposed. Why? Because it's not needed anymore. Why? Because it's no longer the dwelling place of God for His people. Jesus Christ now intercedes for His people to God directly. The temple of God has now become the hearts of the people of God. This is huge. I want you to see this today. Why is this good news? It's good news because for those in Christ, we're no longer separated. The curtain was a reminder that the Holy God was in a place that you cannot get on your own. Your religious efforts to follow the rules will never get you there. The curtain was a reminder that we were separated from God because of our sin. Isaiah 59.2 But your iniquities have made a separation before you and your God and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. The essential truth is that everyone will be judged. The good news is that Jesus came to be judged on behalf of those who would put their faith in Him. This is what we call substitutionary atonement. Romans 3:25 God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. It is only Jesus' blood that ultimately makes us one with God that implements the new covenant. Only Jesus' sacrifice releases us from the curse of death and brings new life in the believer. This is the good news. Jesus now stands as our intercessor, making our relationship with God a real and enduring thing for all who trust in Him. Hebrews 7.25 Consequently, He is able to save to the utmost those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. No more pilgrimages to the temple. No more blood sacrifices are needed. Jesus fulfilled what was needed so that we could have a daily, intimate fellowship with the Holy God through Him. Amen? It is good news because Christ must rise so that we can rise. This is a vital and most critical part of our testimony. You are living in the here and now. You know how I know? Because you're sitting here. You're physically alive. But what happens to you after you die? I have friends who have preached and people in the audience never lived through the end of their sermon. Is that you today? What is your long-term future beyond this relatively short life? Many deny God's existence and believe there's nothing reigning over our existence, our physical existence. People who think that are to be pitied. Because those who hold this position have no hope after death. For them, death is final. By their own admission and belief. What a hopeless thing. Some believe that all people will experience a celestial or heavenly experience with God and each other. This belief is grounded in the belief that people are generally good and therefore worthy of a happy afterlife. The massive problem with this position is its utter denial of the holiness of God and the reality of our guiltiness in our sin. God's perfection rightly demands absolute honor and perfection. God will not be compromised in sin for he is holy. Sin is our disobedience to God's perfect law in both heart and deed. The Bible is clear that all mankind are born morally corrupt in the seed of Abraham, of the seed of Adam, I mean. And each of us confirms that we are indeed transgressors of God's laws and commands with just about every day we live. To say that all people go to heaven is to essentially throw away that God has revealed what God has revealed about Himself and all of mankind in His written word. It's arrogance. Universalism is a false gospel and a damned hope. Those who naively stand on a belief that concludes because someone was nice or generous or caring in this life, they will be worthy of God's acceptance, again, is to deny God's written word. It's to make their own way. How arrogant is that? That we would self define how this should be? We must not make light of God's holiness and or our guilt in our sin. This means if we have any hope for life beyond this life, any hope for true forgiveness from our sin, any hope for lasting healing and joy, any hope for true selfless love and authentic community among others, we are desperate for the perfect, promised, sacrificial Savior and risen Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross in the place of His people is the perfect and complete payment for their sin. Without Jesus' substitutional atonement on the cross, we stand guilty before the Holy God. That was what we remembered and celebrated on Friday night. But the resurrection of Jesus is so critical because if Jesus stayed in the grave and never resurrected, if He never conquered death, then that would mean his atonement, his work on the cross, was insufficient. Therefore, God was not satisfied with his sacrifice on our behalf. And then we're in big trouble. How can we have hope that God would somehow grant us pardon and resurrection if Jesus doesn't have resurrection We have nothing that Jesus doesn't have. He is perfect. We are guilty. He is God. We are His creation. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Please understand the absolute critical nature of the resurrection. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, our faith, our hope, is futile, he says. Church, our very existence, purpose, life, and hope hangs on the resurrection. Without it, what do we have? Without it, what are we testifying? Every other religion, people are testifying dead prophets. Not Christianity. For Christ is risen. While the things we celebrate on Holy Week are special, Holy Week is not special or unique for the redeemed Christian in and of itself. Why? Because every day that we have in Christ, this side of eternity, is a celebration and a testimony of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This is why we don't have symbols with Jesus on the cross. Why? Because Jesus ain't on the cross. And this is why on Good Friday, a few days ago, we sing of the resurrected Christ. Because that's the faith we have. Every day is a celebration of the resurrection for the believing. Every Sunday, every day is a celebration of Jesus' victory over death. And a testimony of the gospel. The death and resurrection of Jesus is not an annual thing. It's a daily thing. It's an all-the-time thing. It's the very foundation and hope we have in this life and for the next. Unlike all other religions, Christianity alone possesses a founder who transcends death and who promises that his true followers will do the same. All other religions are founded by men and prophets whose end was the grave. As Christians, we take comfort in the fact that God the Son became man, lived without sin, died for our sins as the perfect substitutional sacrifice, and was resurrected on the third day as the great victor over sin and death. The grave could not hold him. He lives and he sits today at the right hand of God, the Father in heaven. 1 Corinthians 15 declares, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God for the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is our song. This is our testimony. Jesus who left His throne in heaven where He rules and reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords to come to earth to take on the life of a servant where He humbly and painfully took our deserved wrath So that we could have eternal life with God. Be empowered to serve Him on mission. Every day He gives us. Church, see the resurrection of Jesus. Like a victorious soldier after a long and bloody battle has defeated his foe. And returned home to rule and to reign. Colossians 2.12 Having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. This is the good news of the gospel as opposed to the many man-made religions out there. All man-made religions essentially say, earn your forgiveness, make your way, form your identity, earn your victory resurrect yourself from hardship follow the rules to try to be included the gospel of Jesus says God has graciously elected and acted upon you in grace to raise you from death to life the gospel says Christ has earned your victory over sin and death for you to all who believe in him On Resurrection Sunday, we celebrate this great act of God, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But for this to be good news, you must believe. You must lay down your life, the foot of the cross, and give your life to Christ. This is what happened to Jesus' followers. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered what he had said, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. They didn't fully get it, but they got it. They saw the resurrection, they recalled, and they believed. All of you who hear my voice today, you've heard the testimony of Jesus that He did indeed die, that He did truly rise again on the third day. He reigns at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for all who believe in Him, who trust in Him, who lay down their lives to live for Him. This is the purpose of this whole gospel, as John says and later in chapter 20, verse 30 through 31. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Do you believe? If you do, you have new life in Jesus. If you do, you are dead to yourself and alive to Christ. If you believe in Him, the Scripture says, you have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. And the life you now live in the flesh, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave Himself for you. Is this your testimony? It's Galatians 2.20. What do we do, church, with this good news? The same thing Peter and John did. Verse 10 of John 20. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Why? To testify what they had seen. Can you imagine what Mary, Jesus' mother, would have felt as John, who is now caring for her, returns to the door to inform her? He's risen. Church, we must too not keep this good news to ourselves, but testify it every day. You don't love your unbelieving family to keep this quiet. You love to wreck that relationship with the proclamation of the truth of the gospel. To keep it quiet is not to love them. It's to love yourself and the relationship they give you in the temporary. Love them to speak the truth of the Lord. Call them to repentance and belief that they in God's perfect time would be saved. We must testify, church. We must shout it from the rooftops. Jesus is alive. Consider with me the words of Paul in Romans 6, 1-11. What shall we say then? Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Is this your testimony, Christian? Paul explains that we are to walk in the newness of life. Our lives are to change. Salvation is to flip it on its head. Christ died to sin, so we must also consider ourselves dead to sin. Christ came back to life, therefore all who are in Christ are alive to God. Therefore we no longer walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, as Rob testified earlier. Only in the power of the Holy Spirit do we truly become empowered to not live in the flesh. Not be enslaved to it anymore. We, we then are done with fleshly addictions and and idolatry over the good things God created. Only in Christ Christ can our lives truly begin to change and be sanctified. But none of this is possible if Jesus stays in the tomb. His resurrection is our victory over the reign of sin. Only because He's risen do we have the blessed assurance that we sang about earlier this morning. Only because He has risen do we have the confidence, the ability to walk in the righteousness of God. So I ask you, is your life and your priorities truly, first and foremost, a testimony of life in Christ that Jesus is Lord of your life not you you belong to him or is your faith in Jesus a compartmentalized thing that you hang your hat on you kind of make your own way you make your own rules it doesn't completely shape who you are And why you do what you do or why you don't do what you don't do. I realize on Easter, there are many who might be here this morning who claim Christ. But you're not committed and plugged into the local church. You're not obeying God's word faithfully. Maybe you're not inviting others into your life to truly hold you accountable to Christ Christ your Lord to keep your affection centered on Him you're not fighting sin and practicing righteousness you're you're kind of making your own way you're self-deciding what is and what isn't what needs to be and what doesn't maybe you're clinging to a time that you used to attend church faithfully or a season when you were devoted to serving Jesus, giving yourselves to the truths of the Bible, but maybe you've become distracted. Maybe you've become busy with life. Maybe you've become full of excuses. Maybe you've let hurts between you and someone in the church keep you from staying connected and accountable as God demands you be. I say this to you if any of that applies because I love you and I'm glad you're here these things that I've just spoken of are signs that maybe you have not truly trusted your life to Jesus maybe what you're hanging your hat on is something else because too many days you wake up and you call the shots Instead of waking up and going, it's my greatest joy to submit my life to the authority of my King. Everything He calls me to in His Word is what I'll do. Every opportunity He gives me, I will make much of Him and not me. The life of one who is saved is a life of resurrection and sanctification, it's a life of radical devotion. To know Jesus is to be born again. Are are you caught up in living in some kind of prison of your flesh? Or do you need to know resurrection? Away from fleshly ways and entrapments and wanderings. Those who God gives saving faith trust their entire lives to Jesus, not It's not a negotiated deal. He reigns as high as our King, our authority, our greatest love. We hunger for His Word. We love to be accountable by His people. We're active in and committed to the local church, fighting for the things that are important, not to us, but to Him. We repent when we see we're caught up in sin. We're quick to be humble about it. Not to make excuses. Not to say, look over there. This is the difference between the, the loving the Savior of Friday night. A lot of people dig that. And loving the Lord, the resurrected Lord of Sunday. He must be your Savior and your King As an appointed shepherd of Christ's church, I plead with you to not beat around the bush of this life-changing truth. So let me ask you straight up. You and the Lord know the answer. Is Jesus your Savior and Lord? If He is, your life will be one of resurrection. According to His Word. I did not say perfection. I said resurrection. And it will be a daily walk of repentance of sin as it comes into view and trusting Jesus when it doesn't add up, when it doesn't make sense, when you don't like it, you walk by faith and not by sight. You you don't change things and then get control of it. You walk by faith and not by sight. We are to grow in the church. We are to grow in the word, serving others, giving away our temporary treasures, treasures for eternal ones. For those of you who have drifted away, you're guilty of walking in disobedience. You're guilty of making secondary the things of God. I can think of no better day than for you to go to God in prayer and confess your sin. Sit your family down or someone who loves you and just be open and honest. This is where I'm at. and It needs to change. To turn towards Him, towards His church, towards His Word, and live. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. May it be for the glory of the Lord Jesus and the eternal good of all those He puts in your path. May it no longer be about you. Why? Because all that you need, you have found in Jesus. Amen? Amen. If Jesus is not your Savior and your Lord, the Bible says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Trust in Jesus with your entire life. This means you die to yourself and you live for him. When you look at the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you need to realize that either Jesus died for you and suffered and rose for you, or you will suffer and never rise. It's one or the other. I pray that no one would leave here today as Lord of their own lives, still in sin, and therefore still an enemy of God. Friends, there is no hope apart from the death and resurrection of Jesus. Your sins are real. The wrath of God is real. Hell is real. But the forgiveness of sin and resurrection and new life through Jesus Christ alone is also very real. Amen? What a wonderful thing God has done in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is why we gather, church. This is why we sing. This is why we, too, go and testify as they did, as we saw today. Why we live each day for His glory that He gives us under the sun. May we live lives of resurrection in the power and the love of Jesus. May we be forever changed. Let us stand together now and respond and worship Repentance and faith to these things. Pray with me. Father, I thank You for, for this day. I thank You for this testimony in John's Gospel of these things. What a great gift Your Word is to us to remind us, to awaken us, to shape and conform us to truth and away from lies, to what is lasting and away from all the things we're so guilty of clinging to that are so temporary. Lord, help us to let go of an over to what is temporary and just love our cling to you who is eternal. I pray for the generations in the room, the kids, the grandkids, the friends, the uncles, the brothers, the dads, the sisters, Lord, that, that you would be doing a mighty work in these families, in each one, as you've ordained it to be in your perfect time. Salvation doesn't belong to us It belongs to You. And so I ask You, Lord, do Your work today that new birth would happen, that those who are dead would come to life by Your sovereign decree. God, do that as we praise the resurrected Jesus, as we we let go of all that is fleeting and temporary and sing out that You are enough, more than enough. We worship You. In Jesus' name we pray.